We're in a wonderful season in our church, and I know many of you are reading, I am a church member. And I would like to bring to this pulpit a wonderful, dedicated, committed church member, part of our church choir, to tell you how she feels about church membership at Atlanta West Pentecostal Church. Would you welcome Stephanie Douglas? second chapter is about unity, and I am indeed a church member of Atlanta West. I have been for over 30 years, and I love this church, and I love the people here. I'm seeking to be a source of unity. I'm certainly a work in progress. I'm not an authority on the subject. Unity has several de definitions, but my favorite was something whole or complete formed by combining or joining separate things or entities. Now, the reasons why I need to be a source of unity include the fact that it's required and also it's very powerful. And in the Bible, in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, the last sentence says they were all in one place in one accord. This, of course, is the start of the day of Pentecost. One memorable personal experience that I had, of course, was with the choir and how sweet the sound. We had different parts, solos, preferences, opinions, um, perspectives about many things. But once we were unified, the goals of being anointed and singing our best, we were the most effective. There were certainly very many practices that we would feel the power of God because we had been praying and fasting. To make a very exciting story short, once we did sing at the Phillips Arena and the other places, the power of God fell undeniably, and we experienced many people coming to God. But first, we did have to be unified. For Atlanta West, we need to be unified. We've got to recognize the mission. The mission here is to lead people into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and develop them into fully devoted followers of him. <laughs> Once I really thought about this, I have to say I had to put my own agenda aside. Unity doesn't mean we all agree on the details. Many of us have different ideas or beliefs about a better way to do things. However, I have to say there is a biblical principle in Hebrews 13, verse 17, about submission to those that have rule over you. This can also be true in our jobs. Of course, the opposite of unity is division. And one definition is a disagreement or strong difference of opinion, especially when this leads to a split in a group. The author of the book discusses what contributes to a spirit of division, and specifically he names gossip and also unforgiveness. We'll define gossip as idle talk, rumors, I'll even add misinformation, misinterpretation, and maybe unproven personal information. Now, sadly, I've watched many families and longtime friends break the relationship because of gossip, something they thought was factual, yet they never even heard it from the actual person, and sometimes their source had no walk with God or no integrity. Also with misinterpretation, that assumes that someone is thinking something negative when maybe they haven't thought of you at all, or maybe it was even something positive. The author recommends that to stop gossip, we either tell the person we don't want to hear it and that we certainly don't repeat it. The racial division here in the United States has been sickening. It's been very heartbreaking. No matter what you feel about these issues, I think we all have the same goal for a peaceful, godly community. Division doesn't even make sense. When you work together, you accomplish more. Even those that are being destructive can be more effective in a large group if they have the same goal. Jesus was talking to his accusers in Luke eleven seventeen, and he said, Every kingdom divided against itself is destroyed, and a house divided against itself will fall. He says, Even if Satan would divide his powers, he himself, his kingdom would not stand. Divided households in our homes, they can be destructive as well. We've all seen little children go to each parent or each adult and try to get what they want. And in situations like that, it is kind of funny because maybe the child will win an extra cookie or something trite like that. 
However, when children are older, a divided household is not as funny. It causes very serious issues for children, often affecting their walk with God, their understanding of church, the priority of truth, and what it should have in their lives. The second issue he mentions as a source of division would be unforgiveness. And, of course, that's when we've not forgiven someone that's mistreated us. It can actually hinder your ability to pray. This particular author had a pastor that started a men's prayer meeting. He joined it, and he found he was not able to pray. Every time he tried to pray, he would think back on a high school teacher. Ended up being a very serious situation because the high school teacher had abused him. And it came to him that he actually had to forgive him. Now, that was extremely unfair, seemingly. But once he forgave this teacher, he was able to break through and pray. The biblical principle behind that is in Matthew 6, 14, right after Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer. He adds that if you forgive men for their wrongdoing, the Lord will forgive you. But if you do not forgive someone for doing you wrong, your Father will not forgive you. Typically, it's very hard to communicate with someone that won't forgive you. And now we can see that even the Lord has the power not to forgive you. That's very sobering. I don't ever want to be in that place where the Lord doesn't forgive me. I need forgiveness every day. Simply stated, if we are still mad at someone or have hate or bitterness that keeps us from being in one place and one accord, then we're not being a source of unity. That has the ability to destroy, destroy yourself and also, of course, a church. 1 Corinthians 1 and 10 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. I just have to say there's no opinion, preference, or issue that is worth my soul and certainly not a body of believers. I do want to be a source of unity. Thank you. Amen. Wow. Thank you. Would you please give Sister Stephanie Douglas a wonderful hand. Would you stand if you don't mind? Thank you. And through the years, my 19 plus years here, I have watched Sister Stephanie Douglas be involved in many places of ministry in our church and always trying to make sure that the whole succeeded. And I appreciate her for that. I'd like for you to turn to the book of Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And thank you for standing for the reading of the Word of God as is our custom. I appreciate you praying for my dad. Uh, he did have a stroke on Thursday. He is in CCU. And as much as our family can, there are four of us siblings who are going to try to support my dad and mom. He's 88 years old, has been in good health, and we're praying that the Lord will strengthen him. I feel a peace in my spirit that after serving God uh, in his life for well over 20, uh, 85 years, excuse me, 65 years, that he's in the hands of the Lord. And uh, our family has done our best to be involved in the work of God and serve the Lord. You can't be in a better place than trusting God. Amen? Amen. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Everybody there said amen. amen. It's good to see you in church. Wow, what a tremendous attendance here, this 9 a.m. service. I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad you're being responsive to the Lord, and you're going to preach with me. We're going to come to the altar and pray today, and people who need the Lord are going to find Him. Amen. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. That was Stephen. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. 
And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made a great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and committed women, excuse me, men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Today I would like to introduce our church theme for 2015. It is the title of my message. It is what I believe the Lord is saying to our church. I want to speak to you on the subject, mobilize. Would you say it just real good and strong? You may be seated. Thank you. To mobilize is to prepare and organize a group for active service. The word mobilize immediately brings to mind a military context and usage. Mobilization is the act of assembling and making ready both troops and supplies so that they would be ready for war. The modern process of preparing armies for war originated in the middle of the 19th century. It was with the recruitment of volunteers to fill the ranks when volunteers, excuse me, the recruitment of people when volunteers no longer sufficed. So governments turned to a process called conscription. Has anybody in this room ever received a draft notice? Would you please raise your hand? I'm raising mine. Only folks that are not so young. Governments turned to drafts or conscription. And they created huge forces, armies. And then they harnessed the entire economies of their nations in order to conduct a successful war. The word mobilization was first used in a military context in the 1850s and it was to describe the preparation of the army of Prussia for deployment. And the American Civil War marked the appearance of the United States draft and mass armies along with the organization of productive resources to sustain them. You had to have people and you had to have supplies. You had to have structure, organization to mobilize. This volunteer tradition of the Minutemen was becoming more and more obsolete, just a memory. And it was just the logistical simplicity of the American Revolutionary War that was fading away, no longer seemed feasible. This era of mobilization, which is the reallocation of a nation's resources for the assembly, preparation, and equipping of forces for war had arrived. In other words, if these nations were going to successfully engage their enemies in war, they realized they just couldn't say, who wants to show up, dress up, and go to war? There had to be a concerted effort to gather men and means to go to war. That's what mobilization is all about. It was made possible with what they would have called technological advances advances in their society, a way of organizing and mobilizing men. First of all, the telegraph, which seems to be a joke to us today, but the telegraph allowed them 
to spread news rapidly all across their country. And then with the building of railways and trains, they could load men on trains and move them to points of origin and to the front lines. And then as I mentioned, this idea of conscription that you were going to serve whether you liked it or not. And all the things that had to go into the producing of equipment, vehicles, uh, uniforms, weapons in order to go to war. The three components of mobilization were communication, they had to get the message out. Coordination through the movement of troops with telegraph and train, but especially the train and vehicles. And then the conscription where nobody had the choice to say, I will serve or I will not serve. If you were able-bodied, you were going to serve. Simply, if you were a mobilized army, you stand a lot better chance of winning the war. And if you are immobilized or demobilized, you are probably going to be defeated. Now, through the ages, the church has been known as many things. We sung today about an army rising up. But let's be really honest. In most churches, most members would not be described as soldiers ready for battle. Maybe spectators ready to watch. Maybe consumers ready to eat. Maybe country club members ready to enjoy. But an army to most people in most churches would not describe how they felt about their own church membership. When human governments want to mobilize their forces to defend their borders or to breach the borders of others, they first must mobilize. And for a church to be successful in ministry, we must be mobilized. We have to clearly understand what we are to do. It has to be communicated. We have to be trained and equipped and then we have to have an understanding that God is not just looking for volunteers but He has come to your door. He sent the draft notice to your address and He is saying, ready or not, willing or not, it's time for you to show up and sign up. I need you to be involved in ministry to change this world. Now as I started preparing my message on Mobilize, I had in my mind a way it was going to kind of come together with stories of Old Testament kings and how they rallied their forces and some translations where the word numbered is used would use the word mobilize. But the Lord took me to an example that really I did not expect to be a part of this sermon. After the flood, there were only eight human survivors on the planet. And God, Genesis 8 and 9 and 1 says, God blessed Noah and said to his sons, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Chapter 9 verse 7, The Lord said, Be fruitful and multiply bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. God created a plan to populate the renovated earth after the flood. He intended people to procreate, to reproduce, and then to move out 
and to fill the entire earth. In Genesis chapter 10, the Bible gives the descendants of Noah. Noah had Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and to them were born their sons after the flood. At the end of chapter 10, verse 32, the Bible said that these families of Noah, after their generations, and there's many listed in chapter 10, and the Bible said, by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. You could say that God conscripted the descendants of Noah, and He communicated His plan to them, and He told them to be mobile, to spread out, over all the earth. But when you get to Genesis chapter 11, something happens that stymies the plan of God. The Bible said in that day, the earth was of one language and one speech. And as they were journeying out, fulfilling this mandate of God, they came to a plain, a level place, at a place called Shinar, And they stopped there. They dwelt there. And they said to one another, Hey, why don't we make some bricks? And they had straw for brick or brick for stone. And they got slime for mortar. And they had a good conversation because they had perfect communication. Same language, same accent, same intonation. They had perfect communication. They said, let's do this. Why don't we build a city and a tower that reaches up to heaven and let us make a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Now if we scatter, it won't be like living in a tight-knit community anymore. We won't have the pleasure of one another's company. So let's build a tower. We're going to call it eventually Babel. And this is what they plan to do. Their motive was lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth. We don't want to repopulate the whole earth. Let's just hang out here. The Bible said God took notice. He came down to look at the city and the tower that they were building. And the Lord didn't have to think long because He's a genius. He said these people have one language and one speech. And nothing's going to be restrained from them. They're going to do whatever they want to do. They are perfectly unified in their purpose. So let's go down and confuse their language so they can't understand one another anymore. God had a very creative plan for mobilization. One minute they were speaking and they might say, Hand me that brick. Give me the trowel. Let's go get another wheelbarrow load of slime. And the next minute, they were all speaking with other tongues. Sort of. Whatever he said in whatever language, hand me that brick, came out like, what was that? That sounds like gibberish. Spanish, Italian, Russian... Some tribal language we don't know. But someone paraphrased it like this. They couldn't no longer join hands because their tongues were divided and confused. And because they couldn't understand one another, they couldn't help one another. And because they couldn't understand one another, they couldn't enjoy one another's company. 
So the Bible said in Genesis 11, 8, that the Lord, everybody say the Lord, <coughs> scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of the earth, and they left off to build the city. Instead of building themselves a city and a tower, and instead of making a name for themselves, because God supernaturally mobilized them, they were spread out into the entire earth. Verse 9 says it like this. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from there, from thence, did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. And that, my friends, is how the earth became populated and how eventually, not because they chose to, but because God chose to, they spread out and fulfilled God's mandate to fill the earth. And what the Lord said is that from Shem, Ham, and Japheth was all the nations of the earth divided and they went everywhere by divine coercion. In the New Testament, something very similar happened. Now I know you're thinking I'm going to preach from Acts chapter 2 when they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. But I'm not. In every one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then in the book of Acts, the Lord gave the church a great commission. He said, go. Go to your city. Go to your province. That would be the size of a county here, but your state. Go to cultures that are not like yours, like Samaria. He said, I want you to go to countries where the population is more Gentile than Jewish. I want you to go and keep on going until you have gone to the uttermost part of the earth. I want you to go and keep on going and going and going and I'm going to go with you and empower you and give you the authority to represent me. Jesus said in Acts 8, but you shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. But it didn't happen. They were really mobilized for Jerusalem. They filled Jerusalem with their doctrine. But Judea, their home province, was virtually untouched, as far as we can tell from the biblical record, through about Acts chapter 8. Jesus mentioned going to Samaria, but nobody went to Samaria the influence of their church started and stopped at Jerusalem. If you read the book of Acts, after the lame man was healed in Acts 4, they said, all them that dwell in Jerusalem have found out about this. In Acts chapter 5, 16, the Bible said that in the cities round about Jerusalem, they brought sick folk, but it was still centered in Jerusalem. In Acts 5.28, 
They said, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. In Acts chapter 6, verse 7, the Bible said the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. But it was all happening in Jerusalem. They were celebrating thousands of what's with the party days in Jerusalem. The Lord was adding to the church daily such as should be saved in Jerusalem. They were baptizing thousands of people in Jerusalem. All of this was happening there. And the only problem with what God was doing is that He was only doing it where His people would allow Him to do it. It was happening in Jerusalem. There were great things going on in Jerusalem. And I can see reasons why they stayed there. That's where they lived. That was their home. And they had their hands full. I mean, you think about church growth, 120, 3,000, 5,000, multitudes of men and women, a great company, the priests believe they were dealing with rapid growth and how to assimilate people into the New Testament church. They were dealing with problems of persecution, threatened, beaten, thrown in jail. You've got all this to kind of manage. They had to deal with internal sins. I mean, Ananias and Sapphira. Come and lie to the Apostle Peter and fall dead right in front of him. They've got to be buried. You've got to calm everybody down after that happens because great fear fell upon them. Nobody wanted to lie anymore to the Holy Ghost. I've thought about that before. And then they were busy dealing with problems. They had two groups of people in their churches, Hebrew Jews, Grecian Jews. And the Grecian widows got really upset. Now, when you get a bunch of sweet older ladies upset, that can be a distraction. And they said, we have benevolence money, but we're not getting our fair share. All those Hebrew widows are getting all the money. We're not getting our money. And they were on the phone, and they were talking, and they were carrying signs. No, they weren't on the phone, and they weren't carrying signs. And the apostles were having to deal with that. And they had to get everybody together. And they said, look out among you seven men that are honest, that have wisdom, that are full of the Holy Ghost. We're going to appoint them over this business. We're trying to preach and pray. And we're having to deal with all these issues in the church. No wonder they were locked down in Jerusalem. They were preoccupied with all the things that God was doing there. And it was all happening in Jerusalem. And for all the depth and the power, there was a dimension of the church that was sorely missing and it was the part about mobilization. It was the part that had to do with go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That wasn't happening. But God had a little plan in mind. There was this man named Saul. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Jew and he was very zealous for Judaism. And when he saw what was going on in Jerusalem, it made him angry. He saw those Christians as a cult and as a threat against against Judaism. He got the required papers and then with the ferocity that the church had not yet seen, he began to persecute Christians 
everywhere he could find him, which was in Jerusalem. The persecution was so intense that these Christians began to flee for their lives and they fled out of Jerusalem. Now these were good and godly people. These were people who knew what to do. These were people who were full of the Holy Ghost. But the revival that God had planned was locked down in Jerusalem. Acts 7 closes with the martyrdom of Stephen. He is stoned to death. And Saul is consenting unto his death. Acts 8 and 1. And a great persecution against the church was at, would you say, the place? That wasn't really that great. Let's try that one more time. Was at Jerusalem. Why was there persecution at Jerusalem? Because that's where the church was locked down. And they were scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Stephen is buried, great persecution, and all those that were confined in Jerusalem who are Christians are now scattered out of Jerusalem to Judea, that small provincial state. And they even went to Samaria. Now I want you to think about this. When Jesus went to Samaria, His disciples were in shock. When He talked to a woman of Samaria, they were appalled. The Samaritan woman at the well in John 4 said, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. I have a pretty good feeling that all those godly Christians in Jerusalem did not want to go to Samaria, but they went to Samaria because they had to go to Samaria. The fire of persecution got so hot in Jerusalem that they fled to the place they least likely wanted to go. But when they got to Samaria, something wonderful happened. Saul is wreaking havoc in the church. But in Acts 8 and 4, the Bible says, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. They knew what to do. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. But when God forced them out, they took what they had to places they had never gone. They were mobilized to Judea. They were mobilized to Samaria. And they preached the Word of God. They had been a powerful church, but now they were a mobilized church. The revival that took place in Samaria took place because of the persecution of Saul. Acts 8 and 5, Philip went down to Samaria. He preached Christ unto him. And when he got to Samaria, there was a revival waiting in Samaria. The Bible said in verse 6 that the people with one accord gave heed. 
they heard and saw the miracles that he had done. Unclean spirits came out. They that had palsies and were lamed were healed. There was great joy in the city. They were baptized in Jesus' name. They were filled with the Holy Ghost when Peter and John came down and prayed for them and laid hands on them. There was a great revival waiting for the church at Samaria. There was no resistance. There were no barriers to be broken through. God was waiting on the church to go. And my message for 2015 is that God has never intended His church to be locked down in a building, in a city, in a locale. God never intended for us to build a tower and a city and to make a name for ourselves. He said, go, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Praise God. Go ahead and thank Him because God has a plan to mobilize His church. They went and preached in the villages of Samaria and people who would have never heard finally heard. The Lord has ways of making you talk. In places you don't want to go. He mobilized that early world by confounding their languages. He mobilized the early church to spread out and evangelize Judea and Samaria and from there the uttermost part of the earth. God can confuse languages or He can crash our party with persecution. He uses unconventional means to fulfill His will. But Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. And He is the propitiation or the satisfaction of the wrath of God for our sins, but not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. What God has done in you, what God has done in us, He wants to do for the entire world. So the next time you end up in the hospital and you think that you just got there because of sickness, who knows what God has in mind. Just stay full of the Holy Ghost. Just preach the Word wherever you go. Maybe it's a job change or you're working with another team or you've got to move to another neighborhood or the Lord may kind of commission you and conscript you into a ministry that makes you very uncomfortable. Maybe He wants you to preach to people that you don't really like, but that doesn't really matter. He has ways of making his talk, us talk and He will mobilize us He will mobilize us to accomplish His purpose. January 2015 finds Atlanta West Pentecostal Church strategically positioned for growth. We have reasonable room to fill this sanctuary at least two times a day. Last Sunday, we had 811 people who worshipped here in two services, and that does not count duplicates. Eight 
111 unique people. Thank God that with two services, more people can find the Lord here. But I want to be very clear that God's vision for the church is not locked down to one location. God's vision for the church is that we have power to go everywhere and preach to everyone. And the lost are waiting for the church to get there. They will hear us. They will believe us. They will be baptized. They will be delivered. They will be filled with the Holy Ghost. We have already been commissioned by the Lord to go. He doesn't have to tell us any new thing. And when He moves, He doesn't need trains or planes or buses or cars. And He doesn't need to send telegraphs, emails or text messages. He doesn't have to conscript us with the draft letter that you receive in the mail that tells you your status for the Vietnam War. All He has to do is by a sovereign move of God confuse languages or scatter the church. And an instant like that, God can put us in places where we can make a major difference for Him. Amen? But I don't want God to have to drive me out of my comfort zone. I don't want God to have to come whack me in the head to get my attention like he did with Peter with three visions that God was no respecter of persons that there was a Gentile church waiting for a preacher, waiting for the church. I tell you today that the world is waiting for the church to come. I said it last week, 500 million Tongue talkers, 8.12 billion people, excuse me, 2.18 billion people in the world who say that they are Christians. There is a world waiting for the church to go. Would you bow your heads right now? In the name of Jesus Christ right now, I come, O Lord, on your behalf to speak the word that you put in my spirit. And I pray, oh God, that you would let a fire begin to burn in the hearts of your people. For Lord, we want to be equipped, oh God, to go. So that when you call us or send us, when you may dynamite us out of our comfort zone, into places, Lord, we would, where we would be personally uncomfortable. I pray, oh God, that the Holy Ghost that is in us and the Word of God that is in us would, be, would quicken us and that we would be your witnesses wherever we go. For I believe, Lord, that you put in my spirit that you are mobilizing your church for ministry. And you have strategically positioned us in the city, in neighborhoods, on job sites. You positioned us, Lord, with spheres of influence, people that look to us, O oh God, as a representative of you. I ask you, Lord God, to let us go into more places and reach more people. I pray, oh God, that you would give us a vision, oh Lord, that matches yours for this city. And I pray, oh God, that you would release ministries and gifts and anointings in this church. I pray, oh God, that there are people here, Lord, that need to stir up the gift that is in them. There are people here, oh God, who are gifted, but Lord, they have allowed that gift to lay latent and dormant in their lives. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. 
that you would let there be a spark of spiritual fire. Come into us, oh God, and let an army rise up. Mobilize us, I pray, oh God, for the work you have called us to do. Would you stand, please? At the beginning of my message, I said that the area of mobilization of a nation's resources for the assembly, preparation, and equipping of forces for war had arrived. I don't exactly know how God will mobilize this church. I take responsibility to equip, to organize, to do my job as a pastor. But as I prepared and prayed for this day, I have realized that what God intends to do is far bigger than what a man can dream or plan. That what God intends to do is bigger than anything I've ever been able to kind of wrap my brain around and control or organize. For the day of mobilization of God's church has come. And I would just like to ask you, are you willing to go where God sends you when He sends you there? And we're going to come as a church and respond to the Word of God. But as we come, I know there are people that are sitting here today that say, that's a great sermon to the church. But what about me? I'm not even in the church yet. There's a place for you today to come and pray. And our good people will pray with you in a kind, respectful way. I will help you find the Lord. Because the message I preach today is for people like you who are just waiting for a spirit-filled person to open their mouth and say, Jesus died for your sins and there's forgiveness in his blood. And if you will open your heart and turn from your sins, he can change your life today. Would you come with me and join at this altar and let's come present ourselves to the Lord. I'd like for you to step out from wherever you are and say, Lord, use me, Lord God. I know, Lord, let me be part of the army that is rising up, oh God. And Lord, I pray that through me you would break every chain. That you would break the chains of sin and bondage, Lord. It's time, oh God, for your church to be mobilized. Amen. That's it. Just keep gathering. You can bring someone with you. And if you need to be delivered from some spiritual, some habit, if you need to be set free by the power of God's Spirit, if you need physical healing, this is the place to come. And now is the time to bring ourselves to the Lord and our needs to the Lord. I want to remind this church that the Bible said that believers would lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. It didn't say preachers, pastors. I believe that we can be too. But this extends to every spirit-filled believer that there is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain through your life. Right now, would you lift your voices all across this sanctuary? And would you pray with me right now? I want you to present yourself to the Lord. Say, Lord, you won't have to force me to go. Nudge me, God. Call me to Judea. Send me to Samaria. I'm ready, oh God, to be mobilized in your name. Hallelujah.
But just sincerely pray now. Amen. Amen. Pray that prayer, Samuel. Here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, Lord, send me. Let me be part of this army rising up. I'm willing, oh God, to get out of the comfort zone. I'm willing to get out of the comfort zone. I don't want to be complacent. Mobilize me for ministry, God. Hallelujah. That's it. That's it. I want you to pray right now. Maybe you haven't realized it, but you're a missionary to your school. You're a missionary where you work. You're a missionary where you play and where you live. You are God's mighty army rising up to break every chain. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. In Jesus' name.